Hey, thanks for hanging out with us here on another episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast. It's episode 33, if you can believe it, but maybe this is your first one. Thanks for dropping in. You know that you can subscribe to this podcast. It's very easy to do. iTunes or Google Play, just search for Syracuse Sports Podcast, hit that subscribe button, and we will send you new episodes automatically downloaded right to your smartphone or your smart device. It's so cool. You get this little notification, a new episode of the Syracuse Sports Podcast is available, and then you can listen to it anytime you want on demand. We're going to focus on three things today on the Syracuse Sports Podcast. One, Tyus Battle has a decision to make now that the NBA draft combine is over in Chicago. Is his NBA draft picture clearer or murkier following the workouts in Chicago? Well, that all depends on how you ask the question. So I've done two lacrosse videos on Syracuse.com recently that have gotten great feedback, and thank you for that, by the way. One was on Airgate. It's been 30 years since Gary Gate electrified the lacrosse world and really changed lacrosse as we know it with that play scoring from behind the net. The other one was a series we did about outgoing West Genesee lacrosse coach Mike Masser, who's going to retire if and when the West Genesee Wildcats lose here, and they're a top seed in the upcoming Section 3 playoffs, so that could be a while until that happens. In the world of video, there's just certain things that hit the cutting room floor, but the beauty of the podcast is we can bring some of those stories here. So you're going to hear two stories today that didn't make our videos. One is Roy Simmons Jr., the legendary Syracuse lacrosse coach, remembering a detail about the air gate that I don't think a lot of you know. Plus, the results of the air gate in a not-so-good way. We'll also hear from a former West Genesee star, another Syracuse lacrosse star, by the way, who wore the 22, Charlie Lockwood, telling us a story about how Mike Masser humbled the West Genesee Wildcats into thinking they were lower than dirt, quite literally in this sense. The third thing we'll focus on today is the upcoming Stanley Cup Final. As of this recording, the Vegas Golden Knights are in, and we're awaiting to see who the Eastern Conference participant could be. If it turns out to be Vegas versus Tampa, this will be the most central New York-themed Stanley Cup final in history. But let's start with Tyus' battle. Tyus went to Chicago in the NBA draft combine, and there's a report out Monday from Adam Zagoria that he is, quote, likely to stay in the NBA draft. Look, this is pretty simple for Tyus at this point. If Tyus' battle simply wants to get drafted, he will get drafted. If Tyus Battle wants to be a first-round pick, that's going to be a little dicier. An NBA scout that I keep in regular contact with tells me that Tyus is not going to be a first-round pick. That'll fall somewhere between 30 and 44. That being said, all it takes is one team to fall in love with you. Tyus has already worked out for the Los Angeles Clippers and, according to Zagoria, has four more NBA workouts scheduled before May 30th. May 30th is a key date because that's when Tyus has to make a decision about whether or not he's going to come back to Syracuse or stay in the NBA draft, as Zagoria noted, at this point is, quote, likely. Tyus has not hired an agent, so he has the option of coming back to Syracuse. But it seems like he's just determined to get drafted no matter where that shall be. The thought is that if you're a second-round pick, Life is harder for you in the NBA, and for the most part, that's true. Though it's interesting that 70% of NBA draft players in the second round received at least a one-year guaranteed contract in the NBA. A recent example, albeit very different positions and very different athletic skill sets, but a recent example, nonetheless, of a Syracuse player who made it out of the second round was Jeremy Grant, 
I remember Jim Beheim being very critical of Jeremy Grant deciding to go to the NBA draft and stay in the NBA draft at the time that he did. Well, he got drafted. He got a guaranteed contract, has played for a couple of different teams now, and as we saw this past season, a key player for the Oklahoma City Thunder. So it can work. Now, there's a big difference there. Jeremy Grant was an athletic freak. There's something that stands out about him and stood out about Tyler Lydon and stood out about Malachi Richardson and other recent Syracuse draft picks that sent them on the path to the NBA. Now, there's some NBA people that recognize that Tyus Battle's numbers aren't what they seem. There was so much pressure put on Tyus to carry the load for Syracuse this year with all the injuries that happened on this team. He played 40 minutes a game every game. He certainly can score. He certainly has athleticism, but he has a hitch in his shot. His handle is not the best, and there's always questions about Syracuse players coming into the NBA about their defense. What is it about Tyus Battle that stands out so much that an NBA team should use a first-round pick on him? That is the question. There's a streak at stake here. Only Kentucky and Duke have a longer consecutive streak of NBA draft picks selected in the first round. Syracuse is right there at number three. Will Battle continue that streak? Well, we have until May 30th to find out. The mock drafts are all over the place on Tyus. ESPN's latest mock draft has him at number 32, just outside the first round. I saw one from Sports Illustrated on Monday that has him 55th, which is barely getting drafted at all. Whatever Tyus decides, the fate of Syracuse's preseason ranking is really at stake. With Tyus, the Orange are a surefire top 25 team. And the guard position will be very deep with Frank Howard. Howard Washington Jr., Jalen Carey, Buddy Beheim, and Elijah Hughes joining Tyus Battle at that position. Should Tyus decide not to come back, well, I don't think Syracuse is a preseason top 25 team, but certainly has the chance to still be pretty good next year. So Tyus, whatever it is you decide, we wish you luck. If you simply want to get drafted, you'll get drafted. If you want to get picked in the first round, well, that forecast is a little cloudy right now. Now some thoughts that hit the cutting room floor on one of the most famous plays in lacrosse history and the greatest high school lacrosse coach in history. Now, for those of you not familiar with the Air Gate play, it changed college lacrosse. On May 28, 1988, Gary Gate, playing for Syracuse University, who along with his brother Paul, would go on to electrify the sport as two of the most exciting players in the history of the game, came from behind the net during an NCAA Final Four game against Penn at the Carrier Dome and scored. It had never been seen before, at least in field lacrosse. But as Roy Simmons Jr. tells us here, the goalie for Penn should have known better. The ball had gone in the goal, and they call it a goal, and uh, of course the crowd was stunned by that. Nobody had ever seen that. Uh, physical feat, a goal, an important game. Um, he did it again in the game, which people don't realize. The cameraman never caught the second one, but he did it again. The irony of the whole thing is the uh, Penn goalie was a Canadian. And he had played, he played a lot of box lacrosse in Canada. And he knew that uh, going behind the goal in the box game uh, didn't mean you take the shot away. He could dunk the ball on the four-foot cage. He should have been smarter. But now he's playing American lacrosse. He said nobody would do that Canadian move. So he, he, was not, he was unaware. Uh, that adds icing to the cake, the fact that not only did Gary get a, a goal and uh, beat the goalie, but he beat a Canadian uh, brother, you know. Uh, Gary knew him quite well, played with him and against him in Canada. 
but uh, so he should have seen it coming. He should have seen it coming, but uh, physically, in a six-foot goal, no. Uh, Gary took it. Uh, it's not a big deal, uh, and that's basically why uh, he was able to do it. And uh, he does it back home, but with a bigger goal. Roy Simmons Jr. knew lacrosse as well as anybody in the history of the game, but he was also known for his unconventional thinking. He would encourage his players to fantasize and dream about plays they would make on the field. Well, following the air gate in 1988, let's fast forward to 1991, when a player who you would never think would try the air gate, tried the air gate. And Roy Simmons Jr.'s fantasy and dreams philosophy came back to bite him a little bit in a big game. Let me tell you how the ripple effect of that. We're playing for a national championship down in the Maryland Stadium. And we're playing North Carolina, and we're playing for the championship. It's a dogfight, and uh, I had a pretty good defense. Uh, I had a kid named Chad Smith, a defenseman, and uh, it's a tie game. And there's uh, just a couple minutes left in the game. Uh, it became obvious that the next team that gets the goal will probably win the national championship. Uh, good Carolina team, pretty good Syracuse team. Dogfight back and forth. And Chad Smith, as the defenseman, picked up the ball. And uh, he looked to clear it, you know enough about terminology. Uh, he looked to clear it, and everybody was cut off. They cut off all his pass options. So he started to run, and he got up to the midfield line, and nobody picked him up. He didn't, they shut off all the attack. They shut off all the midfielders. So he didn't have an outlet. So he stepped over the midline. He started to go over the goal. So this Chad Smith is going down towards the goal, and uh, he goes around behind the goal with a long handle. And uh, clock's running down, national championship at stake. And behind the goal, he tries an air gate with a defense stick, 72-inch stick. And, of course, he didn't have the physical ability to do what Gary did. And he got up in the air, and the goalie came around and hammered him before he got even close to shooting. And he went down, helmet went down, the ball went out, and he's laying in the crease long, and the referee blows the whistle. So uh, I went out with a trainer, and a little lull in the game, and uh, he's laying, he's fine. So uh, I leaned down, I said, are you all right? He said, yeah, I'm fine. I said, well, that was a stupid thing to do. Now we've given up the ball. We got halfway to the bench. He stopped. He said, you know, you can't blame me for what I did. And I said, I can't. We're giving up the ball. It's the championship. He said, well, you preach fantasy and dreams. And you've done that all the time, all four years. And I lay in bed at night fantasizing, like you tell us to do, that I have the ball in a championship game and I go down and I score the winning goal. So it's your fault, not mine. Uh, he said, yeah, I guess so. I guess I'm lucky we, we won the game. I said, you are, I would have killed you. <laughs> but because I taught fantasy and dreams, which I did, which is not in the coach's manual, uh, he faulted me for how he played and what he was thinking when he had the ball in a championship game. If you can dream it, you can do it. Just not that time, Chad. Nice try, though. In our Mike Masser video and talking to former players, we certainly learned 
one thing about Mike Masser, how consistent he was over generations. This is a man who coached West Genesee Lacrosse for 43 years, won 15 state titles, won over 30 Section 3 titles. He's in the Lacrosse Hall of Fame, has over 800 wins as a coach, and so many more accomplishments that we can list here, including a 91-game winning streak, one of the longest in the history of any high school coach in any sport. One thing that was consistent throughout the years was Mike Masser's attempt to humble his Wildcats no matter how good they got. They would run the Westcott Reservoir on Syracuse's west side, even after big wins. And as Charlie Lockwood, a former All-American and a number 22 at Syracuse University, tells us here, his state championship team was humbled to believe that they were lower than dirt, literally. And Coach Masser, within the next day, 24, 48 hours, let us know that um, he thought that we had gotten a little bit ahead of ourselves and that, in fact, that we were as low as the dirt below our feet, as low as the worms that were, <laughs> that were in the ground. So in order for us to keep that perspective and keep in mind where we were or where he thought we should be thinking about, um, we had to, every practice and every game going forward from that time frame on, we had to put dirt on our face as a sign of, you know, to ground ourselves where we were, literally. And, um, you know, the thing that was interesting about that is we did it for every practice, did it for every game. And as we made our way through the season, we ended up going to the state championship that year. And that was at Hofstra. And there wasn't much dirt at Hofstra. <laughs> there, was a, there was a lot of parking lots. And it was at the turf, so turf we had, facility. We, had to make our own well, we, we brought our own dirt. We, remember, too, that from he took our, the W and the G away on our helmets. And we, we got the G back like a couple you know, later in the season, and then he finally gave us the W back. Yeah, yeah. so you had to earn it back. Oh, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. So everything was stripped, and it was kind of earning it back. Yes, the, the, yep. the, the dirt situation was interesting, though, once we got to the state championship because we were playing Ward Melville. And these guys are walking by us as we're applying our Camillus-grown dirt onto our face. And I think at that point, Ward Melville probably knew that they were in for a long day because they had never seen craziness like this. They probably thought we were a bunch of lunatics. Now, you also heard the voice of former West Genesee lacrosse player Billy Christ in that piece. Thanks to Billy and Charlie and Coach Simmons and everybody that talked to us for both our Airgate and Mike Messier videos. You can see those now on Syracuse.com. And we close with this. The Stanley Cup Finals coming up. We know the Vegas Golden Knights are in, and as we record this, we're awaiting the Eastern Conference participant, either the Tampa Bay Lightning or the Washington Capitals. No matter who ends up meeting in the Stanley Cup Final, it will be worth watching, not only from an entertainment standpoint, and a storyline standpoint, given that Vegas is only the second expansion team in the four major American professional sports, the NBA, the NFL, the NHL, and Major League Baseball, to make the championship round in their first year of existence. This is the first time since the 1968 St. Louis Blues that it's happened. If it does end up being Vegas and Tampa Bay, though, we're going to have the most Syracuse-centric Stanley Cup final ever. Let's just go over this for a moment. The Vegas Golden Knights. Baldwinsville native Alex Tuck, who recently celebrated his 22nd birthday, has six goals in this postseason for Vegas and has been key for the Knights on their second line. Tuck is gathered up by Alex Tuck. Tuck was impressive his first playoff series. Here he comes, trying to dangle his way in. Has a 
Former Syracuse Crunch standout Jonathan Marsha show has exploded in this 2018 postseason, leading the Vegas Golden Knights with 18 points and is in the conversation for the Conn Smythe Trophy, which goes to the best NHL player during the postseason. The voice of the team, Dan Duva, is the former voice of the Syracuse Crunch. Speeding into the zone, Stastny checked off on the far board. Seven seconds. Right wing shot sails wide. Five seconds to go on the near boards. A tie up. Two seconds. A centering feed, and it goes wide. And that's it. It's over. The Knights are going to the Stanley Cup final. Dan gets to call a Stanley Cup final in his first year in the National Hockey League. Not bad. Even the trainer for the team is a former trainer for the Syracuse Crunch as well, J. W. Aiken. As for the Tampa Bay Lightning, well, it's pretty obvious the Central New York connections that are there, with the Syracuse Crunch being the AHL affiliate of the Lightning. The, the players that have put skates on the ice at the War Memorial, from Braden Point to Andre Pilat, Tyler Johnson, Alex Kalorn, Yanni Gord, Anthony Sorelli, Cedric Paquette, Corey Conacher, to the goaltender, and Andre Veselevsky, provides the Central New York hockey fan a bevy of people to root for. If it is Vegas against Washington, well, that's interesting enough because we'll see if Alexander Ovechkin can finally win a Stanley Cup. But if it is Vegas against Tampa Bay, it doesn't matter who puts Lord Stanley's Cup over their head because Central New York is already a big winner. That's the Syracuse Sports Podcast for this week. Let me remind you to subscribe in iTunes and Google Play. Find the Syracuse Sports Podcast, hit that subscribe button, and new episodes will be delivered to you automatically. Thanks again for listening, everybody. We'll talk to you next time. I'm Brent Axe.